0: This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pods to attract and retain real A players. Join us for the next hour, where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a Blue Collar Culture. Now, here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome back to another episode of the Blue Collar Culture Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan England, and I am here with Jeremy McLiver. You know, a lot of times we start by sharing the great accomplishments our guests have done over the years. That's because we only pick the best to be on our show. But today, I wanna start by sharing a personal story. You see, today's guest has helped me think about my business differently. He's helped me increase profits. He's helped me to better manage my time and stay productive. He's helped me think differently about the way I promote my business. He's the author of some very popular business books, including Profit First, Clockwork, and his newest book, Fix This Next. Stay tuned, because we're getting ready to go fast and furious. The information today is gonna to be pure gold. Welcome, Mike McCallowitz, to the show.
1: Ryan, Jeremy, both, uh, thank you so much for having me. So
0: I wanna ask you, what is the biggest myth out there right now when it comes to running a business?
1: I, I feel hands down is that it takes money to make money. So much it's a myth. It's actually the opposite. Uh so I've experienced both sides. I, I've done the vent, venture raise roadshow. I've I've done the angel raises uh where I've gotten money from external parties versus having to do it on my own. And when I had no money uh, doing my own, I was far more innovative. I challenged the industry norms so much more. But when I had an infusion of capital, <laughs> I seem to find ways to spend it uh, really admittedly to satisfy my ego. I justified the big office and the nice car for sales and all that stuff. And uh, none of that stuff was true. So it's ironic. It does not take money to make money. I think it actually takes the lack of money to be innovative. And when you're innovative, you make a lot of money.
2: Mike, you are speaking my language. I tell people all the time when they ask for advice about how much money they need to start, I'm like, whatever money you got.
1: Yeah, or less than that. Whatever money you have, take 10 bucks <laughs> off the table and then start with that. Like, take less even. Oh, I
2: love that. Yeah, I tell them, if you, they're like, well, I'm gonna borrow 100,000. I'm like, you're gonna go $100,000 in debt before you make your first smart decision.
1: Oh, <laughs> that is, Jeremy, you nailed it. That's the exact truth from my yeah.
2: experience. From mine too. That's how come I could say it. <laughs> yeah. So. It doesn't take money to make money. So explain to us, how do we kick off the business? What is your recommendation uh, around that budget? Like when we're starting off this business?
1: So my recommendation, it's real simple. I call it sell the tell. Go to your prospects or customers with whatever idea you're bringing about. Maybe you're an existing business and you have a new idea. Or maybe you're a new business and you want to see what's going to work. Sell the tell is... Can I convince people that the idea I have is so good that they're willing to depart with money right now in this moment? Meaning most business owners say, "Hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to be run this uh, new idea, this new product or service and I'd love for you to participate and be part of it. What, what do you think? You think it's a good idea?" And people everyone knows the social rules. If you say it's a stupid idea, you're now in conflict. So you don't ever say that. You say, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a great idea. I love it. I'll support you. I can't wait till you do it. And we, as business owners, start saying, well, people love my ideas. This is going to make big money. And then we return to them and we develop this. We spend that $100,000, right? We <laughs> scratch together. And then we go back to them, you know, six months later and say, okay, time to go. Pay me for this. And they're like, oh, I, I really don't need that. And we're like, what? And we are disillusioned. So the sell the tell is, When I meet with prospects, and the best prospects, by the way, are not friends. Friends will destroy you. They love you so much that they want to say whatever you want to hear. Uh, They'll even donate sometimes to you and say, oh, I'll give you a little bit of money for that idea just to to take care of you, to root you along. It's strangers tell the absolute truth. Go to someone you don't know and say, here's my idea. Are you willing to put down a deposit right now? If they say no, you've not convinced them. There's something wrong with the concept. There's not a good enough guarantee or protection, or maybe the idea is weak. You have to keep iterating through the idea and concept and then get people to pay. And I would even argue if you at all possible pay before you have them pay before you deliver or develop it. So you don't incur the cost, it's just creating an amazing idea. Then when you have customers paying for it, now you need to develop it. So now there's this forced demand on you. You got to deliver. And because they paid, you've built in customers and testimonials. So when you sell more, now you have testimonials from those first customers that were the early adopters. Sell the tell, and you've got something that's legit. If you can't sell the tell, keep iterating until you can sell the tell.
2: That's great. So I'm going to move through several different areas for our guest today because you've written books across almost every part of the business, and you're the master, of the pro. I'm not going to even pull punches. I just read your newest one. It's great. I highly recommend it. Well, let's just jump into, that was like almost pre-stage and launch. I want to jump into the actual business moving forward. What's one thing that holds a business back from progressing once they've launched and they are uh, got some clients?
1: Yeah, the one thing is usually the person who launched it themselves. <laughs> Me. <laughs> I hold my own business back. The owner. And, and here's why. When we start our business, the, all the responsibility is on the owner, or if there's partners, the owner's shoulders. You have to do everything. It necessitates it because there is no other resource, particularly on day one. So because we have to do everything, we we do do everything. But then we get this perverted belief that, oh, growth happens by doing everything. So we continue to do everything. We get to the point where you know I really should hire an employee because I can't do it all anymore, but I can't afford to hire the employee. So I'll do more, even though I can't do more, I'll do more until I can afford that employee. We get stuck there. Then when we hire someone, we're like, gosh, these people are idiots. Like, I, I can do it all. And this person came on board. They don't even get it. Gosh, I'm gonna get rid of them. And we go back to just us. The impedance to our growth, it's ironic, is us. We're necessary to get started. It is necessary that we start extracting ourselves from our business for it to grow. And it's very hard for us entrepreneurs to see that. It took me a long time, it took me multiple businesses to really understand the more I'm in the business, the less likely the business is to progress. I have to remove myself, and design what I want the business to become, design the outcomes, but stop doing the work. It is a mind shift. Uh, I think it was Marshall Goldsmith who said, what got you here won't get you there. And it's absolutely true. We have to mature. with the change. We have to extract ourselves from the business for the business to start growing on its own.
2: Love that. So, Mike, I've seen them. About, they go from starting, they get the first clients, then they get the first few employees. They kind of get through some of these hurdles you're talking about. They get up to the next level where they have 30, 40, maybe 50 employees. And the business just gets even harder than it looked. And so now we're digging a little bit deeper there. What What do you see? How do they figure out what to do next? Like, I mean, now there's all kinds of problems and they have all kinds of people
1: messing up all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what we do is we just see our business as a manufacturer. I actually would argue every business, really, if you really analyze it, is a manufacturer. We all create something. Maybe it's creating an experience, or maybe it's creating a feeling. Maybe it's actually creating a physical product. But if you see yourselves and understand that you're a manufacturer, then we can look at the process we go through in manufacturing. And the more steps multiplied by more variables, the more complexity and the more likely there's going to be a breakdown. So if a manufacturer takes five steps to get something done and has two variables, we, we, you know, we make uh, cups, we make mugs. I make a red mug, I make a black mug. Well, if I have five steps, two colors, that's actually 10 different variables because the red's going through the five steps and the black is going through the five steps. So that's 10 variables. If I simply introduce one more color, now I'm going to also do white, now I have 15 variables. So there's 15 breakdown points. We went up you know, from, we went by 50%. Well, in our business, the more clients we have to serve means the more kind of colored mugs we have, the more steps we have, the more offerings we have for them, the more variables. So we very quickly, the more variability in clients, the more variability in our offerings, the more steps we have it grows exponentially in problems. As you grow your business, you must become maniacal about reducing variability. Control comes about by reducing variability. Do fewer things better for fewer people, and you will excel. McDonald's is a great example. Go go to many restaurants, and, and the menu is you know it's pages and pages long. Go to a McDonald's, and you know you can get a hamburger, or you can get a hamburger like two stacked together hamburgers, or maybe three stacked together hamburgers with buns. They have very little variability, little very few, a uh, very non-diverse offering, a very select offering. As a result. They bring about control and they bring about consistency. And therefore, they serve their billion hamburgers where that local fine restaurant maybe in their lifetime has served 500 hamburgers or a thousand. I, I don't know what it is. My simple point what I'm trying to illustrate is it's the reduction of variability that supports growth, not the introduction of more variability.
2: Love that. And I know you have the book out there, Clockwork, that really dials into systemizing yeah. and becoming way more systematic about it. Great one. I want to move us to a very specific point. The point I thought was the biggest takeaway of Fix This Next, which is your newest book. You have a way of diagnosing the business. and You have a special little way of doing that. Why don't you explain that to us?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I found that... I'll tell you the thesis of the book. I've discovered that the biggest challenge business owners face is knowing what their biggest challenge is, right? We're, we're all firefighters. We're constantly putting out fire after fire. And if you scale your business, you grow your business, you may not be a firefighter, but you're definitely the fire chief, constantly putting out all these problems. So how do we find out what we need to work on? There's always issues, there's always these apparent issues, but what's the one most impactful issue that the business needs us to address? I call it the vital need. Why? Well, I uh, deconstructed businesses and found that there's a common DNA, if you will. Just like humanity. If you peel back the skin of humanity, we're all the same inside. Well, if you peel back the skin of business, I don't care if you are a manufacturer, if you're an accounting firm, if you are a plumber, or if you're a pizza shop owner, the, the, the DNA of business is the same. We all need prospects, and we all need to convert them to customers. We need to extract profit and so forth. Well, there's these 25 elements, but I broke it into a hierarchical structure I call the business hierarchy of needs, five levels. From those five levels, we can break down to twenty-five individual needs. Well, of these five levels, foundationally every business needs sales. No sales, you don't have the oxygen for a business. The business is suffocating. So you all need we all need sales. But sales simply needs to be adequate to support the next level in the hierarchy, which is profit. Profit's the creation of stability. It's basically the absorption of oxygen into the body of the business. You you know, some people say sales cures everything, and that's total nonsense. Sales doesn't cure everything. That's like saying you can breathe your way out of any situation. If you're trying to get stronger and you're in the gym, you got to lift weights, but, you know, breathing deeper, it's not going to do much for you. You can breathe faster too, but you're going to hyperventilate. You need oxygen. It's necessary. It alone though is not sufficient. Once you achieve profitability, which is the retention of cash in a business, it brings stability and permanence to a business. Then we focus on order or is the creation of efficiency. This is the muscle of a business how much it can get done. And the ultimate acid test here is if we can extract the owner from the business, like the McDonald's example we used, the owner's never there. The business is running without the owner. It positions it for the ultimate scalability. No dependency on a linchpin. Then above that impact it's the creation of transformation. It's where we're shifting the lives of our customers. We're beyond the transaction now. We're in a transformational state. The highest level is called legacy. It's the creation of permanence. What was so fascinating about this level, Jeremy and Ryan, is where I... I found that business owners realized they were never business owners. They've always been business stewards, meaning they had a responsibility to bring this business to life, but the life of the business is more significant than their involvement in the business. Now, what I want to point out about this hierarchy and pinpointing where to work, all these elements play out in business at all time. The question simply is, where do we need need to concentrate the next fix? It can only happen at one level. And to find it, you always start at the base, which is sales, and ask yourselves, is it adequate to support the level above it? Like building a structure. Do I have a basement strong enough to put a first floor on it? If I put a little basement or foundation for a tool shed and I'm putting a skyscraper on top of it, it'll crush the foundation, it will collapse. Conversely, if I put this massive foundation for a skyscraper, but a tool shed above it, it will fall within the skyscraper basement. So we need to make this relationally. We need enough sales to support profit. Then we ask ourselves, is it is profit adequate to support the extraction of the owner and the creation of a business that runs itself? Is that adequate to create impact? And any as we're building up, we may go back to the base and say, now it's time to expand the footing here and have more sales, which will then allow us to amplify profit, which will allow us to amplify efficiency in order through the organization, amplifying our impact and ultimately create, creating our legacy. This is something we don't climb like a ladder. We bounce around to the level where the next fix is needed.
2: I love that. And I know you have a way for us to, a tool for us to go use. So you want to share that with us?
1: Yeah, I, I'm honored. Thank you. Um, you can go to fixthisnext.com. So it's a compliment to the book. You actually, honestly, you don't even need the book to do this. At fixthisnext.com, there's a big old red button that says, take the free evaluation. Um, click on that. Um, you, It will ask you 25 questions. They're all yes, no. They're simple to answer. It takes less than five minutes. It evaluates your business and it'll pinpoint the exact need your business has right now in the moment. No download, no nothing to sign up for. You simply get the pinpoint what you need to work on and you can start working on it within the next five minutes. Fixthisnext.com.
2: Definitely recommend all of you to go to fixthisnext.com. And I know he said you didn't need the book. But I'm going to recommend the book. I'm going to push it a little <laughs> bit past you. So, Rock and roll, Jeremy. I love it. <laughs> hey, Mike, I really appreciate you being on this with us. Uh, you're a true entrepreneur. I followed you. I love your stories. And you know, all audience out there, I I just recommend go search his net worth. I love that. I love how open oh, cool yeah, you yeah, are. Definitely do that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> you're a true entrepreneur, Mike. Thanks for being our guest. It's so great to have you on.
1: Jeremy and Ryan, thank you so much.
0: The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by BlueCollarCulture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to BlueCollarCulture.com.